Welcome to The Good Enough Mother. I'm your host, Sophie, a sociologist, motherhood researcher, and single mother. I share evidence-based advice combined with reflections from my own life, and I want to change the conversation and the culture around motherhood. I support women to reclaim an empowered practice of mothering. If you find value in this content and you'd like to connect further, please consider becoming a patron of the show by heading to patreon.com forward slash the good enough mother or heading to my website, drsophiebrock.com. You're listening to episode number 39, Financial Value and Self-Worth in Motherhood and in Business. Now I have to say, I do have a little bit of nervousness around releasing this episode and I think that really speaks to the stigma that is often attached to discussing in public forums this topic of financial value, particularly in relation to motherhood. So I really hope that you pull from this conversation a sense of interest and potential challenging of some of the ingrained beliefs that we hold as a culture and a society around our economic worth and the value of our labor as mothers and as women in the workplace who are mothers. And I hope that you get from this episode that this is a conversation about so much more than financial value. It's really at its core a conversation about self-worth and examining the interplay between the individual and our broader society and the structures that we live within. I'm talking in the episode with Lisa Masters. She is also a business owner in the motherhood space and a single mother. And so she offers birth preparation for women who want to explore the blocks that they may have coming up for them in preventing them from moving towards the birth that's right for them. She lives in the beautiful tropical city of Darwin. She's single mum to her spirited 10-year-old daughter. If you'd like to connect with Lisa further, please do head to her social media pages, Earthside with Lisa Masters, or her website, earthsidebirthservices.com.au. So I want to welcome onto the podcast, Lisa. Now, this is our second podcast conversation. We had an earlier one on conscious preparation for birth and motherhood, and we've been meaning to get together and have this discussion. Actually, it's probably one that we would have had off air anyways, but we both see the value in sharing our perspectives and what may come out of this conversation with listeners, because I think it's an area which is rarely addressed uh, in kind of public forums, in social discussions, yet it's one that we constantly negotiate and face as women who are mothers and who are also business owners. And both of us are single mothers as well. So I think that those things are important to say from the outset that those things shape our experience and the context we find ourselves within when considering this topic of motherhood and money. And as we will uncover as we delve deeper into this, it's about so much more than just that. Uh, So I wondered if you would like to just start off by introducing yourself and what you do and how you relate to this topic. Hi, Sophie. Thanks so much for having me on again. I love all the topics you bring up and this is a bit of a curly one and I'm really excited to dig into it because I think there's some discomfort in this topic and um, as we move through that discomfort, I think that we can really see some layers revealed around the value of women and women as mothers. So thank you. I'm an online birth mentor. My business is Earthside Birth Services and I work with women as they prepare for their births and with a focus on them identifying blocks they have 
in their own value and how they see themselves in order to prepare for the birth that they want. And so many of those blocks in their value for getting the birth they want, I think has exposed what we're talking about here today in terms of investment in themselves, in the programs I run. And also similarly, I think in the programs that you run where women are willing to invest in themselves and value themselves through this often high pressure time of pregnancy, birth and motherhood. Yeah. And something that I think has impassioned me to explore this topic further is not only my own experiences around you know, starting a business in the, not only the online space, but in the motherhood space as well. Uh, But actually in doing my own work around getting comfortable in charging for my services and what I offer, Mm. but actually also witnessing this now in others in this space. And Mm. I think it's something which is quite, I mean, I don't know if I'd go so far as to say unique, but I think that it's something which very specifically impacts those who run businesses that support mothers and support women. And sometimes the expectations that are placed on them by not just mothers, but more broadly, that they should be doing this work either for free or for heavily subsidized prices and having certain critiques leveled at them which I just think are not leveled at others who run businesses Mm. and who are small business owners. Why is that the case? Why is it the case that so often in the space of motherhood support, things to do with mothering, there is this expectation to provide services for free? And look, I think it comes back to women's work more broadly. It can also come back to the potential grief around the lack of community support that we have as mothers. And so I wondered if you wanted to speak to that and what you think are or what your witnessing or experiences have been in looking at how people charge for their work in this business space. It's really multifaceted, I think. Uh, Layers and layers of devaluing of, of women, of motherhood, of ourselves on what is acceptable to pay for. Like, we're much more comfortable paying for things than care for ourselves. That's not tangible as well. Like it's hard to say, well, I paid for this session and I had a conversation and it made me feel good versus I spent X money on my pram because it's a thing that we can take home and use. So there's, there's a hierarchy of what, is seen as valuable, I think, in our society and accepted value. And when we're offering something that maybe feels a bit less tangible, then there's not a wider acceptance of payment around or value around that. And then it's really hard for women to then go and value themselves enough to invest in it. And in my own personal experiences, I, I work with women preparing for birth, but I also work with other birth workers starting out their businesses or wanting to, at different times in their business for different reasons, but I have been working a lot with birth workers who are starting out. And the self-worth hurdle has been huge that who, who will hire me? Why would they hire me? Maybe if I offer it free, I'll get some experience and you can do all of that, but should you have to? Women are often 
investing heavily in themselves to be able to offer these services. So they do hold value in what they then are going on to offer. And anyone can choose to charge or not charge how they feel. But when we're not charging or undercharging when we would like to charge for our value, I think that's where the problem lies. Mm, And this, I think, connects into broader discourses around our value as women more broadly, yes, but also I think in an intensified way when we become mothers because the intersection with motherhood is an intersection with broader devaluation, both socially and in economic terms. Um, We know this. So I wanted to raise in this episode the existence, I guess, of the motherhood penalty and the maternal Mm. wall. And so what are those things? The motherhood penalty is research showing and the experience um, that probably many listeners would resonate with that women are penalized for becoming mothers. So yes, we know that there's a gender pay gap still, but actually there's research to suggest that the pay gap between women who are mothers and women who are not mothers is greater than the pay gap between women and men. And so when we're talking about inequality in the workplace and when we're talking about um, financial inequality, oftentimes, I mean, certainly it still does exist if you take motherhood out of the equation, but oftentimes what I think can be missed in this conversation is that it's one about care work. It's one about care labor and it's one that we need to name and recognize Um, There's research also saying that while there is this motherhood gap and it does seem to exist universally across a broad range of countries, a big research project looking at all the different types of, of evidence that they collected from around the world, it found that there are certain things that impact how severe or how pronounced the gap for mothers compared to non-mothers can be. And, you know, we, we know this probably things like other types of marginalization that you face, whether you're a single mom, your cultural background, the level of support that you have, the access to education that you've had, all of these things make a difference. But we know that the motherhood penalty impacts all women who become mothers in various ways. And in the kind of rise of feminism, we have this idea, I'm sure many are familiar with the concept of the glass ceiling and, you know, trying to break through that glass ceiling as women. And this has sort of shifted with maternal scholarship to say that our focus at the moment, it should not necessarily be on the so-called glass ceiling, but on the maternal wall. So the sense that once you become a mother, there's this kind of barrier, there's this wall that's put up in front of you where our society and our policies and our workplaces some yes but more often than not it's an obstacle it's an obstacle to try and mother and provide the care work in the way that is required or that you hope to while also meeting the requirements of what it means to be an employee or somebody who is earning a wage and an income and that I think speaks to the challenges that so many women who become mothers face Um, So I guess I wanted to just share some of that research to frame this in saying that if we're going to talk about the devaluation of ourselves and the devaluation of the work that those who are in the sort of motherhood space do, we have to acknowledge the broader devaluation of mothering 
Um, and of unpaid care work, actually, I think it goes beyond mothering. And last year, actually, the Victorian government, this is in Australia, but similar studies have been done around um, other developed countries. And it showed that the unpaid work that women are performing so again, being conscious of, okay, women, what, what statistic would this say if we focus specifically on mothers, but it's worth over $205 billion annually. And it's not counted as part of the GDP. And I think that's a real problem. So I wondered the extent to which you kind of see this play out in your experience of working with women and your experience as a single mom who owns a business, how these broader structural patterns actually impact the individual so something that came to mind as you were talking was a lot of the focus on i actually never heard that term the maternal wall and something that i have seen i guess over the years with feminism was the emancipation of mothers from their children so that they could return to work to break that ceiling that glass ceiling and we're in a stage now and what i see with a lot of the the women that I'm working with and the birth workers that I'm working with is the embracement of motherhood, of being with our children and being workers rather than the separation of our motherhood and our work life. So what I think we've seen is a rise of women saying, you know, I want to stay with my children. I want to stay connected and I want to work. How can I do that? And then we've seen this, I think, big rise in women who are mothers starting their own businesses. However, then what we're seeing is this trend of expectation that we then shouldn't be charging very much for it. I was going to ask if maybe we could talk a little bit about our own experiences in business, because maybe this would provide some context for listeners um, who okay. might think, okay, well, but like, is there a problem? What even is it? So I wondered if you wanted to share any experiences that you've had in starting your own business as mm -hmm. a single mum in this space of motherhood and in providing online support, what have been your experiences that have highlighted the devaluation of women's work in this field? When I started my work, I decided based on experience and where I was at, what I would charge. It wasn't very much. And I think I fell into trying to charge the standard across my industry which was very, very low. And I knew that I couldn't make a living doing that, that I would burn out from the volume of clients that I would need to take, take on in order to make a living. And I decided that that didn't work for me. And I decided to seek out some business coaching. And what was really interesting about that coaching wasn't, it wasn't what I thought it would be in the sense of helping me decide what services to offer or what to charge the work that was the most valuable was the breaking down of my own sense of self-value, my own blocks around what I could earn, what I could spend and bringing awareness to me on some of the assumptions that I've made about what people would charge, what people would value and moving so far out of that space that I had to explain what I thought I was worth instead of just knowing what I was worth, saying what I wanted to earn and letting other people make up their mind around that. And once I moved into that space, I was then able to see the rampant way of thinking that 
so many birth workers in my industry all had the same, that they weren't able to charge this. They weren't, women wouldn't buy from them. Women wouldn't pay that much for their services. And that was just really interesting to me that they were setting that feeling for themselves. And it isn't our business to decide what other people will spend on us. All we have to do is show up who we are, know what we think our work is valued at, you know, knowing, knowing the transformation that women experience through working with us. I know what that is. I see it every day. I know it's so value, valuable to women's births, their motherhood and their entire lives. And if women want to take that up with me or not, that's up to them. They get to make the decisions about their own life and what they're prepared to spend their money on, budget their money on. It's not my business. And so once I started staying out of the business of other people and deciding what they would spend and wouldn't spend, I just got to offer my workout as I wanted to because I value myself. And so it just revealed to me, I guess, the fear we have to value ourselves. And I didn't just see it in other birth workers. I also saw it in the conversations women were having with me. The, the things that women would say to me when we would take a call together to see if my, you know, they would tell me what they needed and we would talk about what I offer. The things that they would say they needed, it was extraordinary. The, the questions that I would ask them and the things that they would say to me were they'd be destroyed or they, would, they were so worried about what would happen to them in their births if they didn't do this preparation. And then letting other people decide whether or not they could spend that money on themselves and then maybe deciding, no, and that's okay. I don't want to work with people who don't want to, you know, don't want to work with me. I'm, I'm totally okay with that. What I'm not okay with is women really wanting something and not being able to value themselves and even value their time. I've had women really want to work with me. And when I follow up with them, they say, yes, yes, I am doing it. You know, it just took me some time to come to be able to spend the money and time on myself. And that blew my mind. And so I think that once I moved out of feeling like I had to justify what I'm providing to people who work with me, I started to see it everywhere. And it's, it's blown my mind. And, and you know, we, we've had many, many conversations about this, haven't we? So what came to me when you were speaking about that was how relatable that is for so many mothers, even when they're not in business, because mm. it's about justifying the work that we're doing, regardless of if it's in business, in a workplace or at home with our children to try and prove our value, to try and prove our worth, to try and quantify our output. And this can be something that's really hard to do in mothering. And I think one of the reasons mm. why motherhood remains to be so devalued, because if you're at home all day with a baby and a toddler and someone would ask you at the end of the day, you know, oh, what did you do? What did you do today? And that's a question a lot of mothers get asked as well of still these assumptions about what do you do all day? And how do you, how do you have no time if all you're doing is looking after your kids? Um, which anyone who's listening to this who spends their day looking after small children would just find laughable. But the problem with caring work and with mothering work is that, and I think with the work that, that you and I do in our businesses as well, is that 
oftentimes the results aren't quantifiable. The mm. results aren't something that you can pump a chart out of to measure. It's not something that you can tick off your to-do list. And I think though that we're ingrained to value that way of measuring our worth and our work. And so we try and quantify it and we try and measure it and create the to-do lists. And then we feel a sense of inadequacy or failure or not being enough when inevitably we're not able to meet those requirements because we're playing the rules of a different game. And in providing the kind of what I think to be actually incredibly transformative work in relating to others, in nourishing others, in nurturing others, whether that be in our businesses or in our mothering with our children. That's the work which is life changing and which is society shifting, but it's the work that is invisible. You know, it's the invisible work of mothering and it can be the invisible work that goes on behind closed doors in businesses and with our work with women. And so I wondered if we wanted to talk a little bit about this idea of connecting value with finances. And this is, again, it's, these are tricky conversations to navigate. And we've talked a little bit off air about this as well, around how helpful we think it is to connect in financial value with worth. Do things need to have a financial worth attached to them in order to be valuable? It's so complex and I'm really in, well, I definitely could not offer sustainably what I do for women in, in my work if I wasn't paid for it and if I wasn't paid quite well for it. But also there's a flip side that I really, I'm, I know we're going to cover and that's the disservice that we do to women when we don't charge. But to come back to being able to do this work, I don't monetize everything. If I decide to offer a, a, a free resource up like my podcast, like from time to time, I'll offer some of my services up for free. And you know what? Some of that is, that is also to help other women find out what I do and see if it's right for them so that they can access some of my work and say, I love what she's going on about. This is so interesting. I would love that maybe I can work with her or they say, this is really valuable. I don't need any more than that right now. That's also okay with me. I'm really comfortable in deciding this is what I will provide so that women can use things that that's my give back to the community. And I think that's really valuable. You offer an incredible volume of free resources in your podcast, in your content, uh, in your validation of women's experiences. They can take that and do nothing else with it. They can, and they can, they can absolutely gain value from that. And then they can also choose to say, I want her in my life every day. What she's got to give is so useful to me. I value myself and I value her and I'm willing to invest in that. That doesn't have to be for everybody. And I'm, and I'm again, more than okay with that. But that came from the investment I made in myself where someone helped me sift through all of my own personal junk and the way I'd been conditioned to believe my own worth and value as a woman slash mother slash whatever. And I'm now really comfortable with what I decide to do with my work and what I offer here, there. And sometimes I will randomly make something and charge it for a small amount so that 
anyone can go for it if they want to. And then other times I have things that are, I guess, you know, inverted commas, premium services for women who want so much of me. So yeah. And I, and I guess if I can then go on to say, and maybe we'll pick this up a bit later, often when I don't charge or don't charge enough, I guess I see that women get very hesitant about accessing me and asking me those questions and then spending a whole bunch of their own energy and time that they should be gaining from what I offer in worrying about if they're bothering me and if they're asking too much of me, which again is a way that as women and mothers that we have been socialized to worry about taking up space and time with somebody. So I actually see charging a good amount of money as a way for women to then find value in it and take up space and say, I'm paying for her, so I'm going to use her. And, And I've seen a significant shift with that. As I've charged more, I've seen greater commitment from my clients and greater transformations. And so some days I think about doubling it again, just so that I can double that commitment from them and that transformation. And maybe one day I will. (laughs) But, you know, I mean, I really do see that for some women, they will take the low priced product or a free product and absolutely gain value out of it. But we've talked in the past and I've done talks like this in other coaching groups. Very often, if we sign up for free things, even if they sound amazing, I don't really have much urge to do the work. Yeah, me too. It's um, it's it's an ex- it's about an exchange, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, what the exchange is, and if we feel as though it's the same with friendships and even in relationships in mothering, uh, when we are supporting each other, it's about recognizing that in doing something for somebody else, oftentimes what that creates is it's a giving of you for them. And, but we know as well from doing acts of service in helping others, that that's also a giving to ourselves in some way, we gain something out of that. But what it can also often do is it can create almost an uneasy sense of imbalance in the relationship. Mm -hmm. And in business, this can be problematic, not only because women aren't able to feel as though they can fully take advantage of services that they've paid for because they feel uneasy in the exchange or it can also create unequal power dynamics in the sense of women could feel as though they almost owe something more of themselves to the person they've paid because they've got it for such a bargain or a discount. Absolutely. I agree with that so much. And I've seen that as well. And I see that outside of the work that I do in, in other in other people's work. So yeah, it's such an interesting concept. And, and yes, it is about energy exchange, but right now in the society that we live in, what do we use to demonstrate that energy exchange? We use money. So why shouldn't we, again, we come back to, yes, we're single mothers. I don't have anyone else earning a living for me. If I want to do this work and be here fully for the women that I work with and have outside of my energy that I and time for my child, then my energy and my time is here for the women that I work with. It looks very different when I have to split that 
which I have done in the past and, and done a, a day job. It is totally different. And it's, you know, choices are contextual, aren't they? And I think sometimes, I mean, there's really interesting research actually that came to mind when we were talking just then around how willing mothers are to use support and help that's available to them socially. And what we sometimes find is that even if we talk about, you know, losing a a village, losing a community, right? And sometimes it has been the case, um, it can be the case for women that even if they do have offers of help and support come at them, they are unable to feel as though they can say yes. And actually they will go on to hire somebody employ somebody to come in and do that same work that was offered to them by a friend or a family member because it feels like a more comfortable exchange because you're paying Mm -hmm. for it. And so it's interesting the ways that our decisions as women who mother in our mothering can be mediated by these exact same concepts that we're discussing. And a, a way of changing our, if this is resonating with you as a listener, a way that I think can be useful of flipping that in our own experience is to recognize that if we do get an offer of help or support from somebody in our village, in our community or a friend, actually creating the space for us to sit in the discomfort of what it would feel like to say yes to that can be such an opportunity for growth and transformation, not only for you, but when you accept that offer of help, what you're also doing is giving others in your circle the permission to ask for and accept the help for themselves as well. I definitely see it. I mean, I obviously go on to also have women in my community after they've had their babies. I do continue uh, postpartum networks and those sorts of things. And it's definitely a theme uh, that comes up very often is just this valuing of self to, to accept offers of help. Next level to ask for help. Women are in excruciating discomfort to seek that out. It's so interesting and yet very comfortable having conversations with me and continuing to invest in, I do village calls where they pay ongoing to make fortnightly calls with a group of women and the showing up there because they paid for it is very interesting. But then stepping outside of that and asking of each other, yes, it's very telling and it's again those layers that get revealed about how we value ourselves and I think we're, we're raising up children we're raising up either girls that do we want them having the same views of themselves and their worth and sons you know if we live in a patriarchy where men's work is so much more valued do we want our sons to feed into that or do we want our sons to feed into a respectful view and value of of everyone's work absolutely and this it's a gendered issue um there's some really interesting research i mentioned earlier the motherhood penalty and so women are penalized financially in terms of their income when they have a child and that increases um, the more children that we they have surprise surprise Um, but what is interesting is actually while mothers experience a wage penalty when they have children fathers experience a wage bonus 
And so actually when mothers, when women have children, there is research to say the perceptions of them in the workplace, actually from pregnancy onwards, uh, the perceptions of their skills and capabilities and capacity and potential are impacted in a negative way where actually we see the exact opposite from men. When they become fathers, they're seen as more reliable and competent. And an interesting study actually that to explore this was researchers sent out fake job applications to employers. And this was in the sort of marketing and business sector. And all of the applications, they had similar quality, but some of the applications made reference to children or parent-teacher associations in their CV, and some didn't. And so what they found was that women, the applications that were from, you know, these fictitious women, those who didn't have children were two times more likely to be called for an interview compared to the women who did have children who were similarly qualified. So only 47% of mothers were recommended for hire compared with 84% of females who didn't have children, but with similar qualifications, right? But it's a surprising thing, perhaps not surprising, depending on what your experience has been beyond this, is that the study looked for similar evidence of discrimination against fathers And not only did they not find anything, but they found that actually fathers fared slightly better in the hiring process than those men who didn't have children. So interesting and so telling of the sometimes conscious, sometimes unconscious bias that we hold towards women who have had children and of mothering work and and negotiating this space of what it means for us in our public and private lives, so-called. I actually wasn't coping as you were reading out that whole study. I was feeling <laughs> so anxious. But you're right, none of that's surprising, really. It just makes me feel so uncomfortable to actually be hearing it shown in the study, what we already know and see and understand. And actually, you know, what we're talking about here in terms of these women who are mother run businesses, as women who are mothers, this is such an opportunity to increase an industry that literally values us as mothers, that as mothers we are offering out these services with with an empathy and an understanding and experience, and it seems at every turn that's being devalued by this idea that we shouldn't charge and we should offer it all for free, you know, all in the sisterhood. And actually it's an opportunity for us all to see the value and it's not we're having to fight so hard to be recognized as valuable women slash mothers in business offering services to women slash mothers in motherhood. (laughs) It's like the patriarchy's done a really, really good job, hasn't it? That even within our own peer group, I mean, you can't say that we are not sometimes met with complete outrage that we dare to charge. It's, it's almost frowned upon. What a strange concept. Mm. And it really is just a reflection of how we see ourselves as, as women and mothers. And, and the work that you and I are trying to do and many, many other women slash mothers in this industry is to show mothers their value. Yeah. And I think ironic. That it is, uh, it is. And I think that 
something, obviously my work and my passion is around dismantling patriarchal motherhood and the impacts and challenging the impacts that that has on us as individual mothers and women. And I think we need broader shifts in terms of our policy. Um, there's lots of things that I would love to see change in terms of the financial support for mothers. But I think we have to start valuing ourselves before we can expect broader cultural social shifts around our own our own worth and our own value. So that looks like saying things like, I'm a mother, you know, if you're at home, staying at home, raising children, and that's your current focus, uh, not using the word just, uh, not pretending like what you're doing isn't valuable. And having those conversations, if you do have a partner who um, is earning an income, having those conversations, and obviously this depends again, contextually, you know, it depends if you've got the safety to do this as mm. well. Um, but knowing that, hey, you are taking a financial hit here in, with your superannuation or wherever a listener is listening to this superannuation in Australia is kind of retirement savings that come out of a salary or an income. Uh, we know that women retire on less than half the super than men do. We know that most women are a divorce away from poverty. And this is why we have the highest growing group of homelessness in Australia are older single women. And this is something which is dire, but it's something that is not named as being in connection with motherhood and our valuation of ourselves and the ways that we're valued socially. But it looks like having those conversations and looking at salary sacrifice for your partner. It's being mindful that what would I do if my relationship were to break down? How would I support myself? Do I have access to money? Yeah, what does that look like? And also recognizing that mothering is skilled work. And I would love to see research on this because I, to my knowledge, there hasn't been a whole lot but the skills that we gain as mothers are valuable and important skills, not only socially, but they're valuable economically. They're, they're valuable to businesses and workplaces. Um, and I think there, there is research looking at the productivity of women who are mothers and particularly in this era of COVID, right? It's really mm. curious. It'd be really curious to look at that, the impacts that um, having to work alongside children have had on productivity levels and so the mental and emotional labor that goes into maintaining all of this and raising children is significant and something that's absolutely valuable yeah definitely and I was even thinking as you were talking when you said mothers are skilled I even just thought about Mothers are always increasing their learning when they're mothers. I mean, think about all of those online forums that we exist in. Thousands, thousands and thousands of women are out seeking information to mother constantly. Women aren't just sitting at home baking and vacuuming the floor and making sure little whoever is fed, you know. They are skillful because they're ever learning on how to to mother their children. Yeah, and this is twofold because on the one hand, I think that we're set up in a way to devalue our own knowledge and our own expertise in order to <laughs> that, too. that too, to be required to seek <laughs> information, right? So there's that as well. But I love that point that you've raised in terms of expansion, this, this sense that 
we're always expanding and growing in the expansion and growth and support of our children. And I find it interesting around the language of even first time motherhood and thinking, oh, I'm a first time mom, so I'm seeking support. But with our first child, we're always first time mothers because we've never mothered a two-year-old. We've never mothered an eight-year-old. We've never mothered a 21-year-old. I mean, it's always, it's always a journey of learning and of growth. And actually, I think when we have such an emphasis, particularly pre-motherhood in trying to support women in pregnancy on the ways your life will change in terms of the labor that's required practically, it's exactly, yeah, it's the mental labor. And it's not only that, it's not only the work of supporting the growth of another, but it's actually the work of your own growth and transformation that I think is so undervalued and underrecognized and not named. It's really big. And, you know, I can already see, look at us, we've morphed out of this conversation about charging in our businesses and look at us straight over here discussing mothers and the work they do for nothing, you know? And so, yeah. And so that's our norm. So of course there's a devaluation in how we see ourselves. And, and as I said, one of the first things that I did when I wanted to change it up was to seek some support around how I would run my business. And the work that actually happened was the learning to value myself. And what happened in that space was epic, you know, in my own transformation that I was you know, and it's an ongoing journey. Obviously there's a lot of layers to release, but if we value ourselves and if we all valued ourselves, what a threat we would be in keeping us in a space of devaluing so that women call each other out for charging or not offering free services. We're feeding into that system that you were talking about, those structures that keep us down. And so how can we do this so that women get the support they need and we get to value ourselves in the work that we do and, and the help that we do offer women when they invest in us and themselves. It's big. And one of the key ways that our power structures are able to be maintained isn't just by a top-down approach. It's not just by an approach of being within a system that's doing things to us. We're not passive recipients of that. We're active participants in it in that it wouldn't continue to function if collectively and individually first, but then collectively we were able to actually challenge it. And one of the key, what I think is one of the key functions of how the system's able to be maintained and sustained in the way that it is, is to create and perpetuate and fuel divides between women. And it's between non-mothers and mothers. It's between mothers on every topic you could imagine in motherhood, mm-hmm. eating to sleeping, to working, to the stay-at-home mum versus the working mum. It's all of that. And it also plays out uh, generationally in the younger woman and the, the elderly woman, um, looking at the ways that youth is put on a pedestal. And so how convenient that as we age and as we gain experience and some would argue wisdom and maturity, although that's <laughs> That could be considered ageist, right? I think there are plenty of people who are brilliantly wise 20-year-olds and not so wise 50-year-olds. Absolutely. Um, But 
actually how convenient to convince us into that narrative that just when we potentially step into the knowledge of our own power and the confidence in that, we step into a place of being invisibilized and devalued in society because we're no longer the young, youthful woman. Again, it's about value, isn't it? And it goes, it goes far beyond talking about financial value, but that has to be a key part of the conversation. And in pretending that it's not, we're ignoring the structures that we're living within. And it's a reality that if we want freedom within those structures and to be able to function and support ourselves and our children, we need to earn an income. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and this conversation between us hasn't come about out of thin air. It's because of what we have personally seen and faced and witnessed. And as I said to you, like we decided to have this conversation many months ago, actually, and it's just taken a long time to evolve. And in that time, the examples of this devaluing on, on many different levels that I have seen on both the, the women who are charging for their businesses that I work with and on the flip side, the women who are wanting to invest in services for themselves. I have seen so many examples of it and it just comes up time and again in many different ways, like with, with many different kind of facets and yeah. And every time I'd be like, Oh, another one for Sophie for our conversation, you know, but in the end it just became like almost a snowball that I started to see it everywhere. And it became so interesting. And the women that I have worked with who are starting their businesses, when we discuss it very openly and we talk about that lack of value that we hold within ourselves, it's very upsetting to realize that they do actually want to earn. They do want to charge for the work that they're going to do. Yeah, it's really devastating for them to realise that they've been keeping themselves small when they don't want to. And so feeling validated that they don't have to is quite a powerful shift. And that's what I was hoping out of this conversation isn't just, we're allowed to charge lots of money and you should pay for it. That's, that's not the basis of this conversation. The basis of this conversation is as women and as women as mothers, I think so many of us feel devalued across every level. And we need to shift out of that collectively, as you say, individually and collectively, and the power that could happen with that. If you believe you are valuable just because, with no explanation, what could that look like for you, for your life, for your motherhood, for your children? Mm, and It's boundless. And recognising, actually, that depending on who's listening to this, that could be an incredibly scary question because if we were to truly believe in our own worth and our own value that we've been trained out of believing in since we were children in our relationships and in our society, actually, if we were to believe we were good enough and that if we were not only had a belief in our own value, but were supported in being able to have that recognized, realized and actualized, well, then probably relationships would end, friendships would change, your living circumstances would end, resignations would be put in, businesses would be started. Like it, it would be disruptive. And so just acknowledging that planting seeds is a step, right? And it's about more than just us but it can start and I think needs to start with just us. And it can look like something as simple as 
going to the shops when you want to buy yourself a pair of shoes and buying yourself the pair of shoes, not buying your kids' shoes and thinking you'll go without. You know? Right, everyone here is nodding, right? Everyone knows that they will spend money on their child so easily and not on ourselves. Yeah. Because what does that mean if we do that? We are painted as selfish. Yep. Yep. And it goes back to the martyrdom of motherhood. It goes back to the myth of motherhood and patriarchal motherhood. And actually, I think it goes, this whole narrative around self-sacrifice and martyrdom is another reason why we cop this as business owners in the motherhood space. Because if we're mothers who are supporting mothers, then we're also expected to play into the myth of self-sacrifice and mm-hmm. being the saviors of women. And what we both do, and I know we both challenge this narrative with the women that we work with in, is knowing that we're not, you're not paying us to empower you or give you power or give you anything. Like it's it's already there. It's an yeah. we already trust that they already have it and we're just facilitating the space for them to see it in themselves. Absolutely. I was going to say in our last podcast interview, you said something that challenged a narrative that I had been buying into. I was like, Oh my goodness, that fill your cup so you can pour from it stuff where I absolutely used to buy into making sure we look after ourselves because we're mothers, blah, blah, blah. And you very kindly and sweetly pointed out that that's just bullshit. And we deserve to have full cups just because we're women and individuals. And it kind of blew my mind. And I realized how much I'd been playing into that martyrdom view without even realizing it, even though that isn't even my philosophy around women. And yet I was subconsciously completely buying into that. And yeah, I was outraged for quite some time that I had actually been caught out in that. And I loved, and now I um, also uh, challenge that narrative that we don't need to be looking after ourselves just to be mothers. And I've noticed this in, cause you know, as I announced last week that I, in the last episode that I've started a membership group called Liberated Motherhood. And I'm conscious in the way that I try and share about that group in calling women into it, because on the one hand, I know that what will resonate with women is if you tell them that doing something is going to help their children and support Mm. their family. So I know that on one level and in reality, what I believe to be a truth is that it does. I mean, I think that it is a truth that we have to care for ourselves in order to care for others, but that's not the primary driving motivating reason. And that shouldn't be the goal to look after ourselves just so we can look after somebody else. Yeah. yeah we matter too. And mm-hmm. we were a child, we were someone's child, like right. we matter too. And I think in, in the membership I've, what I've had a couple of women say to me when they've come in is that it has been an act for them. Like when I've said it, this is something that you create the time, the space and yeah, a financial commitment to be part of, to show up for yourself. And yes, that's going to have implications for your mothering, for your relationships, for other aspects of your life. But primarily you deserve to have a space and a focus that's for you and your nourishment. And that should be a very simple thing, but it's quite actually a radical thing in our society. The word in my mind, it was like, how radical 
in this society to think like that. And I mean, I see the same things in the work that I do in preparation for birth. What ends up happening when women take that time for themselves to see themselves in a light that isn't just about producing a baby, but actually seeing birth as their own right to experience in a way that they want. And the implication often levelled at women who want that is as if they don't care enough about their baby or don't value their baby, that they value themselves more. And, and so that is fed into a lot. But when women get to actually say out loud, no one cares more about this baby than I do, but I also care about myself. And the power in that makes significant change to how they show up in their interactions with other people and what they get to experience for their birth, for sure. So yes, this, this is about valuing the woman. So as a byproduct, everyone benefits. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I think we've covered a lot here and I hope that those who are listening get from this conversation that if they are working in the space of supporting women or mothers or business owners to allow yourself the opportunity and the space to just open up these considerations around how you value yourself and how the ways that we see ourselves actually impact how others see us too. And Mm. as women who are mothers more broadly to start to notice the narratives when these come up in your life, because they inevitably will Um, And notice when they come up for you and when they come up for others and think about even starting with small ways of disrupting that uh, through small acts of resistance and just playing with what that can actually do for your own self sense of, of worth and value and the impact that that can have on others too. Do you have anything left Lisa that you'd like to, to add as we finish up? Oh, this has been a fascinating conversation and, and watching the path that it has taken as well. I have so much respect for, for women and mothers and have such a strong belief in women really actually being able to know what they want. And so I trust women to be able to choose what they want and choose where they spend their money and that that is perfectly right for them. And as you say, noticing what comes up though the blocks that come up is is really interesting mm. so yeah just take what you will from this i'm i'm sure that it will be helpful to some and not to others and i'm really comfortable with that um and yeah observing our own thought patterns is actually a really beautiful thing i hope you've resonated with something from today's episode Please do reach out and connect with me on Instagram or Facebook at Dr. Sophie Brock or head on over to my website, drsophiebrock.com to check out my blog and other offerings. 